Amen. So how many Facebook users do we have in the house today? You're still actually on Facebook. Anybody? Okay, there's a few. Some don't want to admit it, but you're there. We know. Um, you're lurkers. You don't post, but you just kind of scroll through the timeline to see what's going on. We use Facebook for a lot of things. Uh, we update our photos. Uh, we also share significant life events with others. We share not-so-significant life events with others. Uh, lots of people post issues that they're dealing with, don't they? I mean, Facebook becomes, becomes kind of this venting opportunity for people. Sometimes they don't seem all that significant what people are venting about. You know, the battery died in my TV remote and I had to keep walking across the room to change the volume. It's a bad day. Uh, Target was out of the 1% milk that was on sale. I had to buy 2%. Ah. Uh, I broke a chip in my guacamole. I sent in a recon chip to try to dig it out. It broke too. I mean, these are bad moments, people. I want to order pizza, but my wife is using the computer right now. My iPhone screen is too small to read the Domino's website. What do I do? Uh, the coffee grinder stopped working this morning. Okay, some of these are real problems. Some of these have significant impact on our lives, and, you know, we could stop and pray for the coffee grinder. Uh, but all of these types of problems are what spawned the hashtag that some of you have seen and maybe even used, and that is hashtag first world problems. First world problems is kind of used to describe those things that people in developed nations complain about, and they're really not that worthy of complaining. But we do it anyway because we like to gripe about things at times. And when we look at the serious problems that a lot of people face around the world, or even in our own communities, sometimes the problems we deal with are really not that significant. And at the same time, some of us sitting here this morning really are facing significant problems in our lives. Most of us at some point in our lives, we get knocked down. We get beat up by the hand that life deals us. And there are seasons, I think, in every one of our background and experience or maybe even current reality where we get knocked around pretty seriously by life circumstances and issues. And unfortunately, when these seasons come, we can't always just make our problems go away. We don't have that ability. We can't always control our problems and fix everything. What we can control is our attitude in the middle of problems. We are in full control of our attitude in the middle of adversity. It may not seem like it, but you are in control of your attitude. Have you ever tried to talk yourself into feeling better? You know, you have those conversations with yourself uh, where you're like, okay, I got to stop. I got I to gotta just feel better. I got to have a better attitude. To have a better attitude, you're like, all right, stop it. You're too negative. You're not alone if you have those conversations with yourself. In fact, you're in pretty good company if you have those conversations. Listen to what the psalmist wrote in one of the most beautiful psalms in the Bible, Psalm 42. He said, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, what is the writer of this psalm doing here? He's talking to himself. He's telling himself to get a grip, to stop pouting, and to refocus on God. And I think probably most of us have been there. Like, hey, I, I got to stop this. My grandmother was one of the biggest spiritual giants I've ever known. 
She's one of the main reasons that I'm a pastor today is her influence on my life and her ongoing prayers. Uh, and she had an amazing response to people who were letting their problems get the best of them. When she would ask someone, how are you doing? And they would respond, okay, under the circumstances. She would respond with, well, what are you doing under there? That was, that was her answer. And, and that could sound like maybe she just led a pretty charmed life, right? Um, but the truth was something else entirely. She had found the answer for how to deal with the problems of life when they come. So let's start off with an informal poll here to see what the room is like today. How many of you had a good week this past week? Last Sunday to today, you had a good week, okay? Uh, how many of you had an average week? Just kind of like, yeah, it was a week. How many of you had the kind of week that you'd rather forget about? Okay, all right. We got some of those as well. Maybe uh, you have a family member or a neighbor or a coworker who had that kind of week that we'd rather just kind of never have to go through that week again. Let's just leave that one in the past. Um, maybe they got news of a terminal illness. Maybe they were sexually harassed at work or even assaulted. Maybe their house was foreclosed on. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe any number of things happened to them. Really serious, not first world problems, but serious problems that life brings to us. Um, how do we respond when someone goes through something like this? How do we speak into their lives? What do we tell them? Sometimes we could, with the best of intentions... Say something like, God won't give you more than you can handle to someone who is dealing with a lot of adversity. Maybe one hardship piled on top of the other, they just keep stacking up. And what we mean when we say something like that is, you're strong, you're tough, you can do this, you are up to the challenge, you will get through this, right? And we mean the best. If you've been a Christian for longer than a month, I'm sure you've heard someone say at some point in line in time, God won't give you more than you can handle. I've heard pastors say it, biblical counselors say it, lots of Facebook and Instagram posts, t-shirts, refrigerator magnets. I mean, this message is out there. But we need to think about this statement based on what the Bible says. Does it really line up with the word of God, with scripture. I would contend, and since you know the series that we're in right now, you've probably already guessed that this statement is one of the misconceptions about God in the Bible that needs some fact-checking this morning. We need to take a look at this. And I want to make a case this morning that this statement is not only untrue, it's actually really unhelpful as well and could do damage. I want to answer these two questions. First of all, does God ever give us more than we can handle? Does God ever give us, and if that is true, then I definitely want to answer this next one because it's hugely important to all of us, and that is, what do I do then when it's more than I can handle? And we need to think through that. We need to understand what's coming down the road, and we need to be ready with the answer. So why do I believe the statement, God won't give you more than you can handle, is both untrue and unhelpful? Here are two reasons. The first of which is pretty straightforward. The Bible does not teach this, church. It's not in there. And if you've been around trilogy for any length of time, you know that God's word is the final authority on anything we believe. That's it. There is no other authority than his word. Secondly, the Bible actually teaches the opposite. 
that at times God does give us more than we can handle. Now, the first thing I want to do is look at the scripture verse that is most likely where this misconception began, where people get this, uh, and this thought comes from. And that is in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. And from this, I believe a lot of people kind of synthesize this misconception that God will never give you more than you can handle. So here's what we can take away from this verse, because there is some amazing truth in here. Obviously, it's God's word. And that is this. God will never give you more than you can handle when it comes to temptation. That is way different than emotional weight, than physical, you know, things that we deal with, than pressures and stresses and all that. It has nothing to do with any of that. This deals specifically with temptation. God does not tempt anyone. The enemy does. Scripture tells us that as well. Okay? But God won't allow that temptation that comes from the enemy to be beyond your ability to resist it. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us. Every time you are tempted, it's not too big for you. Now understand, I'm talking to people who have made Jesus their Savior and Lord. I'm talking to believers here to Christians. Before Jesus, in the BC era of our lives, we can't say no to sin all the time. We are incapable of saying no to sin. We are all born with a sinful nature, and the Bible describes us as slaves to sin. Before Jesus set us free, we were slaves in bondage to sin. But after Jesus comes into our lives, the Bible says we are now new creations. We have been born again. Like we like to say at Trilogy, we, we, God has written a new story in our lives. That the sinful nature has been replaced by a new nature. And the Holy Spirit now empowers us to live Christ-centered and Christ-focused lives. The Holy Spirit now lives in us, and we now have the ability to live the rest of our lives and never sin again. That's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us, church. Is it likely? No. Is it probable? No. I'm just saying that according to Scripture, it's possible. And what that means is that every sin is deliberate, and willful. There are no accidental sins, church. Every sin is deliberate. We are responsible for each and every one. That is your happy thought for the day. So go and enjoy that. Uh, here's the thing. It's not a happy thought. And it shouldn't be because sin breaks the heart of God. Sin put Jesus on the cross. And I think way too many church folk have far too cavalier an attitude when it comes to sin. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's under grace. It's no big deal if I sin because Jesus died for all my sin. Yeah, he did. That sin that you're thinking about committing is what nailed him to a cross. And we need to actually understand the weight. We need to feel the weight of our sin because Jesus certainly felt it. 
But this phrase, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, some people that have taken that in another direction or just assumed that it covered more than just temptation and have made it read in their mind, God won't give you more than you can handle. And you won't find that phrase anywhere in the Bible. No, wait, Pastor, see, it's, it's right there on the scripture slide. Right here, God won't give you any more than you can handle. First memes, 777. <laughs> it's there. When difficulty arises in the life of a believer, or anyone else for that matter, this supposed verse, which doesn't exist, gets tossed out there like a scripture bomb. You know, sure, it sounds compelling. It's a really nice concept. And it does remind us of how much God cares for each one of us. After all, he knows the exact number of hairs on our head. Luke 12, 7, and the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And what this says is every detail, every single minute detail of your life is known by God and cared about by God. So he does. So why is this whole thing such a problem then? Why shouldn't we believe this? What's the big deal? And this right here is the heart of the matter. When we believe God won't allow us to go through anything we can't handle, it becomes all about us. It becomes about my willpower, my determination, my strength, my ability to stand strong. It becomes all about me. Suffering doesn't ask if you're ready, right? I mean, don't you wish sometimes that we got a heads up? <laughs> hey, next week you're going to receive some crushing news, so you might want to prepare yourself mentally and emotionally. Go take a spa day. You know, take some long walks. Some power naps wouldn't hurt either. Go out on your bass boat for an afternoon. Uh, but no, suffering and difficult situations in life, they don't happen that way. We don't get warning. We don't get notice. They may come slowly. Or they may come suddenly and with a vengeance, but they don't ask permission and they don't care about convenience or your readiness for them. There's never a good time for your life to be wrecked. But the saying God will never give you more than you can handle tells me that I have what it takes. And if I can't stand up underneath that assault on my life and what I'm, the weight that I'm carrying right now, if I can't deal with that, then I have failed. I can beat it. I can tough it out. The operative word in every one of those sentences is I. It tells me God permits trials according to my ability to endure. Think about what this way of thinking does. It points people inward to their own strength. But the Bible paints a very different picture of how we should respond and how we should live. The Bible does not point us inward. The Bible points us Godward. Always. And this is a huge point that way too many people miss. God wants to use everything, everything that we face in life to point us toward and to draw us closer to him. Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble, so we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Guys, when our strength is failing beneath the weight of life's burdens, the answer is not found within. 
It's not some inner reserve of strength that you summon when the going gets tough. It's found in God. It's found in him. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is the one that we turn to when we need help. God gives power to the weak. He gives strength to the weary. The power comes from him when we seek him, when we trust in him, when we wait on him. The writer of the Psalms asks a really important question in Psalm 121. He says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? And then it's kind of this assumed question, well, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we have to be able to answer like the psalmist did here. We have to know and believe deep in our souls that my help comes from the Lord. When you're facing a rough patch, trust that the Lord's help will come because he is there for you in a way no one else ever could be and that you will never be able to muster in your own strength because it's not on you. And this news is way more helpful than God will never give you more than you can handle because we're saying something true about God instead of something false about ourselves because we lie to ourselves all the time. Oh, I can handle it. I can make it. I can get through this. Liar. We can't. We're weak. We're broken. We're messed up. And we are in desperate need of God to be our refuge and our strength. The next passage shows us that the Bible actually teaches the opposite of this spiritual fact check moment. Here, Paul is remembering a time when God gave him more than he could bear. And in a letter to the Corinthians, he wrote this. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Guys, that phrase all by itself debunks the never give you more than you can handle thing. Right there. Because Paul says he faced circumstances which were exactly that. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. And then he provides a crucial insight into his suffering. Why were he and his companions experiencing more than they can handle? Listen to what he says. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Come on. Guys, Paul spells it all out. And if there was a dude who trusted in his own abilities or had that tendency, it was Paul. Paul was a little, at one point in time, a little full of himself, a little overconfident in his own abilities. And God broke him. And God, and Paul, God taught Paul. And unfortunately, how did Paul have to learn? <laughs> Through some pretty rough patches. And Paul learned the lesson, and what he's doing is he's communicating that lesson to the Corinthian church and through the Corinthian church, through the centuries, to us. So we don't have to learn through those same kinds of circumstances. If we learn the lesson early, maybe we won't have to go through the same thing Paul did. Because we will learn that it's not about me, I don't have to rely on myself, and I will learn to rely only on God. And that gives us more incredible insight into God's motivation toward us with regard to our circumstances and how he interacts with us through them and why he might not always intervene right away. Because our expectation, right, is that, well, 
if I've got a problem, I'm going to bring it to God, and God's going to fix it. Because we live in a microwave culture. God's got to change it. Now, I mean, God, I've prayed. God, I prayed yesterday and today. Come on. Like, why is this not happening? you got to understand, sometimes God, God, and you've heard me say this, God answers every prayer, no matter what. Sometimes he answers yes, sometimes he answers no, sometimes he answers wait. But God answers every prayer. And there are times where we pray and we instantly see a response. And those are amazing moments. Those are faith-building moments. They're incredible. There are times when we pray and God says no. And later on down the road, we look back at that prayer and say, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. And there are times where we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray. Y'all have heard me tell the story. I prayed for 20 years for my dad every day that he would get saved. 20 years I prayed for my father. And after 20 years of praying, on his deathbed, in the hospital, he gave his heart to Christ. And really, all I care about, flesh, selfish, wish I had been able to live with a saved dad. Wish I had had that experience. But I get to spend eternity with him. How much better is that? I mean, he's up there right now waiting for me. How cool is that going to be when I get to be reunited with my dad and spend eternity worshiping Jesus together? I think that's better than him showing up at my baseball games, you know, with, with a smile on his face and with God in his heart. I'm good. But I want you to understand that God doesn't always intervene right away because God's goal is not to get you to be self-sufficient. His goal is to keep you dependent on him. Well, why would God want that? I'm a strong, independent person. I don't need anyone. Isn't that what God would want? No. God wants you to recognize your dependence on him because you are dependent on him whether you recognize it or not. Isaiah 42.5 says, God the Lord created the heavens and stretched them out. He created the earth and everything on it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. Every breath that we take is a gift from God. He sustains us. He not only gave us life, he preserves our lives. In him, everything that is continues to be. So we need God, and our struggles should point us in his direction. Trying hard is not the answer, church. Not even trying harder is the answer. Even though our culture says you can do it, and you've got everything you need inside you, you could do anything. That's what all the self-help would say. That's simply not the truth. And even though your mom may think you're perfect, here's the real truth about you and me. We're flawed. We're weak. We're sinners and we're broken. We're a hot mess. And you can't do it alone. You can't, I can't, no one can. And the way to make it through this painful at times life that we're living is to turn to God and to ask for help. Unfortunately, asking for help in our culture is sometimes thought of as a weakness. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But there are times in our lives where asking for help is the bravest thing that we can do. We had our training meeting yesterday for Living Free, our new ministry for people to find freedom from life-controlling issues. But in order for someone to be set free, they have to be willing to come to the program. They have to be willing to get involved. And in order to do that, they first have to recognize and admit that they can't do it alone, that they need help. 
We all need help at various times in our lives, and God wants us to ask for help. Hannah, would you come? In Luke 11, verses 9 through 10, Jesus is teaching on this asking, the ministry of asking. And Jesus said, and so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds it, to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Think about the promises contained in these two Bible verses. It's massive. If we can wrap our heads and our hearts and our faith around the truth here, it will change everything for us. Going through adversity is an opportunity to depend on God more than we ever have before. You see, Jesus is our anchor. He's the fixed point in our lives. And prayer is the rope that keeps us connected to that anchor. Prayer keeps us tethered to that anchor in the storms of life. When they're blowing us all over the place, we can remain fixed because of him. And I'm not talking about a cursory, rote prayer that we just kind of fling to the heavens before we wade into a difficult situation. I call those flare prayers. You know, just fire up the flare gun before you go in. That's okay. Those are, those are necessary sometimes. But what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about calling on God. I'm talking knee-buckling, carpet-sucking, tear-streaming, snot-bubbling, gut-wrenching prayers where we don't have any other options and we're calling out to God with everything that is within us coming out of us. Prayer that doesn't come from here but comes from here. It pours out of us as we call on the one who created us and loves us more than we could ever love him in return. That kind of prayer changes things, church. That kind of prayer changes us. It changes you. And when you begin to pray like this, when this becomes a regular part of your walk with God and not just a response to tragedy, the tragedies won't make as big of an impact. Why? Because when your focus shifts to eternity, the temporal problems don't make as big of an impact. God wants us to cry out in prayer for help, but God also wants us to turn toward each other. We are here as God's potential answers to prayer. Someone in the same row as you this morning may be going through horrible circumstances right now that they can't handle, that they can't make it, and they're crying out to God for help, and God is giving them strength, but one of the ways that God is going to help see them through might be you. You might be an answer to the prayers that they've been praying. If you've not yet, I mentioned it earlier, but if you've not yet found a neighborhood group to be part of, please begin to pray about where God would have you go. Let us connect you to real community. God has put us here for one another from the very beginning. Remember the creation story. God forms Adam out of the dust, breathes life into him, and then says immediately, it is not good for him to be alone. We're not designed that way. We were created to help one another, to do life with one another. And we will face adversity in our lives. There's no question, church. The Bible is clear. We will face difficult times. We will experience hardships. We or someone we love may face terminal illness. We may struggle with debilitating depression or suicidal thoughts or grief so heavy that we feel we're suffocating. 
We may walk through financial circumstances where it seems there's no way out. And if we are like most human beings, at some point we absolutely will face things that are more than we can handle. The promise of Scripture is not that we won't go through hard times. What Scripture does promise is that at all times, good or bad, God wants to be our help. He wants to be our refuge. He wants to be our strength. And here is the bottom line, church. It's not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle all that you've been given. Get that in your heart, folks. It's not that he won't give you more than you can handle, but he will help you handle all that you've been given. Those things that threaten to destroy us are not part of God's perfect plan. They are not necessarily even sent by God, but they are part of the human experience. They are the result of living in a sin-filled, broken world. And even though sometimes the enemy may bring them, I trust that God walks with us through them. In fact, Jesus has already walked through our shared human experience with us. He walked this earth 2,000 years ago. He lived the human condition. He knew what it was to suffer. He knew what it was to face rejection. He knew betrayal and torture and death. And his resurrection proclaims that evil and hate and pain and even death itself will not have the final word in our lives. Some of you need to hear that today. What you're going through right now is not the final word in your life. It's not. Let that sink in. The promise of Scripture is not that we won't go through hard times. It's not that we can handle by ourselves everything that life throws our way. What Scripture promises is that at all times, good or bad, God is with you. And so in the words of Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. You can either be anxious and worried or you can trust in God. You can't do both. Let God fulfill his promises. Get on your knees, get on your face, cry out to him, truly seek him. God will help you handle anything this life has thrown at you. And one last word I'd like to give. It's likely that someone is sitting here today and feeling like they absolutely have more than they can handle right now. And if that's you, if you're facing a challenge that has overwhelmed you, addiction, financial difficulties, relationships, depression, other mental health issues, grief, pain, whatever it is, please ask for help. And you can start right now by asking God for help. And we're going to pray for you this morning, but don't stop there. Talk to someone. Talk to a friend who's here this morning, talk to me, talk to a teacher, talk to a family member, someone in your neighborhood group. God has put people in your life already who can help you. And if you don't know who that person is, I'll tell you right now, I'm here for you. Talk to me. Let's pray this morning. Bow your heads with me. And I'm not going to do a big lead up because you already know if God's speaking to you. But if you're going through that right now and you want prayer this morning, I want to pray for those who are crushed today. Just lift your hand. Let me pray for you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, you can put your heads down. Let's pray. God, I want to pray for those that lifted their hands in this room. 
and said, God, I'm crushed right now. I'm going through things that I can't handle on my own. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I can't do it. It's more than I can handle. And Lord, I pray that you would be their refuge, their safe harbor this morning. God, let them right now feel a peace that goes beyond any understanding that we can have. It won't make sense. It won't, it won't be in line with what they're experiencing. But God, I pray that you would give them a supernatural peace right now in this moment. Let them sense your presence, your Holy Spirit, the comforter coming into their lives in a very powerful way right now. And Lord, I pray that your strength would begin to rise up in them. That Lord, it wouldn't be their strength, it wouldn't be their determination, but God, you would provide, you would see them through, you would provide in every way. And God, I pray that if it is your will, that you would change their circumstances. God, that you would bring deliverance from what they're going through. But God, if you choose to walk with them, I pray that you would hold their hand. I pray that you would keep them strong in your strength, Lord. God, break us of the self-determined mindset that I have to make it, that I have to be strong. And Lord, I pray that every one of us here this morning would admit our weakness to you and you would see us through. God, I pray that for those that are here this morning, who maybe are at a place in, in their life right now where they, they want to look to you for help, but they don't even know how to turn to you because they don't have relationship with you. And Lord, as they sit in their seat this morning and they are praying, and they have that attitude and that mindset of prayer, I pray that they would look to you right now in their hearts and just whisper a prayer and say, God, I need your help, but first I need you to forgive me. I need you to make me whole again. And God, as they pray that prayer, I pray that you would come into their lives in a powerful way and make them a new creation in Jesus. And then, Lord, I pray that you would lead them through to the other side of whatever challenges they're facing. God, I pray for all of us this morning that we would walk away from this service with that truth in hand that, God, even though we may face things that are beyond what we can handle, we don't face them alone. Be with us, God, and go with us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.